Welcome to WTF Crypto, where we peel back the layers of the onion of the crypto universe to understand what's really going on and how it affects you and your portfolio. I'm your host, Mark Lurie, and as a caveat, nothing in this podcast is legal or investing advice. And if you liked this podcast, or even if you hated it, I would love to hear from you. Our team works hard every week to find the topics you care about most. So please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to let me know what you think of the show. We read every single one. Thanks for listening. Today, we're trying a different episode format where we talk with key people on the Shipyard team about their hot takes on crypto and the crypto ecosystem. And so we're talking with Drew Tozer about design in crypto. Hey, thanks for having me. One of the most remarkable and odd things about crypto is how the design is in some ways so flippant. If I go to sushi.com or uniswap.com, one has unicorns and the other has neon sushi outlines and, you know, club colors all over its site. And yet Uniswap holds five or six billion dollars in liquidity. And SushiSwap holds about $2 billion of liquidity. And these products process tens, if not hundreds of, hundreds of billions of dollars of trading volume every year. And it's just, it's, it's almost amazing because if some people from outside crypto came to these sites, they'd think it was almost a joke. But it's very much not a joke. It's, it's very, very serious and processes a real amount of money. And this is really important because as people increasingly come into crypto, it might be confusing what seems legitimate and what doesn't seem legitimate because the design is so different from what they're used to. And so it seems like a really good, important topic to unpack. What, what should you take away from design? And what is legitimate? What is not? What is important? What is not? As you're judging a company and a product. So thank you for joining and, and helping us <laughs> unpack this today. Yeah, it's pretty funny, isn't it? I I think that brands like Uniswap and SushiSwap are a good benchmarks of this like paradigm shift in design. Before Web3, there's always like playbooks for how professional organizations are supposed to represent themselves and like especially ones handling large volumes of assets. Um, if you look at traditional design, if you looked purely at the function of an exchange, you'd handle someone like Uniswap or SushiSwap the same way that you'd handle like Wall Street hedge funds. They'd be black and white or like a nice deep blue. They'd be serifed up, very clean and tidy. And then from that perspective, Uniswap and Sushi look pretty scammy. They don't really follow the rules that design created about who is trustworthy. They even break the cardinal rule that's like, don't use pink, and they use pink in a largely male-dominated exchange. Yeah, there's always like these strong rules that decide what is good design and what is bad design. And I think Web3 is breaking a lot of those rules. Huh. So where does some of these rules of thumb come from? I, I guess you're right. I don't see pink in a lot of financial websites. So what... Why do you think it evolved that way and, and what's wrong with pink? I don't think there's anything wrong with pink, but in every 
formal design education that I've ever attended, you always kind of go down this hole of color psychology. And pink is always under the categorization of feminine and gentle. And so when you're doing any sort of branding, you're supposed to refer to, you know, this knowledge base that has been created through years and years of psychoanalyzing design for specific user groups. And the umbrella of professional or mature, you're always into the blues. You know, you're guided in a certain direction based on like institutional knowledge bases. You know, it is interesting because if you look at New York Stock Exchange, Intercontinental Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, Deutsche Bourse, and London Stock Exchange, I think they all have a slightly different shade of blue <laughs> as their general motif. <laughs> and it, it's actually, now that you mention it, it's, it's 100% true, but it also seems a little circular, right? It's like, why do we associate blue, I guess, with trust or, or financial sites? I mean, maybe it's deep psychoanalytic research, but maybe it's because, maybe it's circular. Maybe it's because all these financial sites all use the same color scheme and then we associate yeah. uh, trust and financial sites with that color scheme. So You're totally so, right. Yeah, it's like the logic that they try to tell you is that blue is very calming and also very stimulating so it like keeps you awake and it keeps you engaged but i think it's just very self-referential you're totally right interesting so so now we move on to web3 and i guess web3 and crypto has a culture that's all about breaking norms changing the system and so i guess it's an opportunity to reset our design expectations why do you think Web3 is different? I think Web3 is different because of um, like people are navigating it differently. So like when people are looking for visual cues of legitimacy, like we were saying before this paradigm shift, like they're not the same as Web2. Um, and I think that that comes from like an overwhelming disdain from like stuffy financial institutions because they work for the wealthy and i mean the wealthy compose much of web3 but the marketing that we're seeing is not targeted towards them and i find that the web3 community tends to be just that like a community so they don't rely on marketing and design firms to tell them what's legit like they talk to each other so when a web3 organization looks like a web2 organization that's going to be the black sheep and that's going to stand out as inappropriate so it's all almost like there's new norms, and if you depart from the new norms, it's just as odd as if you departed from the old norms in the old system. And I mean, Web3 does, as all things do when they move through trends, is they look back in time for inspiration. Um, so I think Web3 very much pulls a lot of its aesthetics from like Web1, which is like the lowbrow web. And I think they're doing that in much cleverer and nicer ways. It's very playful and there's a lot of expression. It really encourages experimentation and allows non-designers to enter the space and kind of create the world that they want to see. Like I think a lot of the Web3 aesthetics are borrowing from this early Web1 idea of like non-designers being able to experiment with creativity with digital tools for probably the first time ever. 
And I think we're seeing like a little bit of a renaissance with that. And I honestly welcome it because designers always kind of treat their work as like a portfolio for other designers. And I think design in Web3 is now coming out to be like more people oriented and actually like people generated. So like people who use these exchanges or have a say and how it looks and how it feels and it represents their interests definitely is one of my favorite things I mean like web one was like the wild west of the internet which is my absolute favorite aesthetic um it's just totally unhinged um and then web two came in and we started to apply design principles to the web and we were like no we shouldn't have like flashing gifts and like Elton John blasting when you open the tab and like a blue text over a blue patterned background like that just doesn't work and then web3 comes around they're like yeah we're gonna go back to being internet cowboys i love it why not have out john playing you know i don't know i'd be into it yeah <laughs> there's a process difference there's an a freeing of creativity whenever you have a new paradigm but a lot of that's presumably because you know, users' expectations change. And so users are open to considering new things. Yeah, for sure. How do you how do you think about like user feedback and what users actually want in crypto? And is the process of discovering that any different in web two? And do you think that designs itself might be a function of how we get feedback from users? Yeah, I think that user research is very different in Web3 compared to Web2. And just as like an introduction to user research, it's mostly the efforts of trying to understand people's motivations and behaviors when interacting with digital products so that that product can meet their needs and desires. And that's done by various methodologies that generate feedback, like surveys, interviews, and workshops. I think in the Web3 space, we're seeing much more of a participatory design environment, which is really exciting. Um, participatory design is like when you actually co-work with the people you're designing for. So it's more of like a collaborative effort. And, you know, you make sure that they're involved at every milestone of the project. And I think that Web3 enables that because people are... Um, more tech savvy they tend to care more about how the products that they use are built and they're interested in it um, like the community in web3 is just eager and willing to participate they come looking to help they want to get involved it's a really inspiring level of enthusiasm that makes participatory design far more accessible for designers in the space and if we contrast that with like a different way of gathering user research, you're met with data-driven design and data-driven user research. So I think data is fine. Like I'm not going to diss data. My mother is a data analyst. So sorry, mom. But I think that having a, a small amount of quantitative data is really helpful for understanding what's working and what's not working and identifying patterns on a larger scale. But I think the problem with increasingly data-heavy research is that it's like an addiction. And especially for larger companies who are able to pull or purchase data, 
it's often far easier and cheaper to just capture these huge swaths of data for many people than to conduct and compensate people to help improve your offering. So like, that's what Facebook does. And I don't know, it's my belief that people should have autonomy and should be aware that they are participating in a study, that they should be compensated for their time. Data-driven research also is just furthering this like pigeonholing of people based on demographics. It like overly simplifies society down into like small groups of individuals. Um, and that categorization treats people like a, like lone consumers rather than social people that exist in layers of societal context. So they're just continuing to promote and sell individuality through data-driven research. And I'm very excited that we're moving away from that in this space. It's so interesting because I think there was a previous generation or era where people really were not data-driven at all. And partially this was because computers weren't really a thing. And so data was a lot harder to get, much less analyze without spreadsheets. And we've had several decades now of people emphasizing, be data-driven, look at the data, look at the data. Now we have so much data. But if I look back on some of the companies I've run, some of the biggest mistakes I've made was when I relied too much on the data instead of my intuition. Mm -hmm. And... I have tried to pull myself back from that and be a little less data-driven, to your point. Um, and I think that may sound odd, but but it's kind of a pendulum effect where like you shouldn't have no data, you shouldn't be all data, you need to be somewhere in between. And, uh, and we've maybe gone a little far. And it's kind of interesting that Web3 is more participatory and lets you talk more with users. And what do you come back to? A little bit of Web1 where people were less constrained by data because they didn't have it quite so much and they were going on intuition and their personal preferences. Uh, re really interesting how that works. Yeah. Do you think, what one thing I've noticed is that communities and s systems and, and institutions tend to ossify over time. Do you think that crypto will end up becoming more formal just like web one gradually turned into more formal web two? Or do you think there's something fundamentally different about crypto, which will make its design aesthetics stay different? I don't think that there's anything fundamentally unique about web three that ensures that it will not evolve into something more refined later on. I think it's going to be very challenging for people in the web3 space to avoid design principles forever i think they always kind of like catch up to you um be it through like an increase in adoption like i think as adoption increases in web3 you're going to see more traditional design firms want to get involved and they're going to bring their baggage with them but i i definitely feel like there's always going to be new trends coming around the corner and web3 will evolve to them as they come before we tie off, do you have any advice for users who are going to Web3 sites and deciding for the first time whether they should trust those sites with their money and take them seriously? Any guidelines or rules of thumb to judge from the design? I think in, in this context, let's treat design as like the holistic thing it is, which is like the whole experience. So I think that 
benchmarks of trust would be transparency. And if people clearly articulate who they are and their motivations, they're honest about where they are in the project. They're not over-promising with huge loads of money. And I think another benchmark is simplification. Like, I think there's an urge to make things complex in Web3 because people who can wade through the complexity are often seen as like holier than thou. So I think having things simple and clear that are welcoming to newbies in the space, that's a good benchmark of somebody who's investing time and effort to design and is likely not a rug pull. Other than that, it's hard to tell because like the scammiest looking websites now are totally legit in the Web3 space. So like all of the benchmarks that you would have seen um, in the Web2 time just don't exist now. So you really do have to be quite discerning and talk to people. It's surprisingly complex to be transparent and simple. It is, yeah. And communicating that is hard. And I guess at the end of the day, good design helps people be transparent and simple and communicate. Yeah, absolutely. It needs to be welcoming and accessible. Otherwise, who is it for? Wise words. Uh, And with that, we will tie off. So Drew, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for all the work you do to make Shipyard's DEXs, Clipper in particular, so simple uh, and intuitive and authentic to the users who come to it. Really appreciate it. Thanks. This was fun. 